you know, doing that type of work in and of itself has been healing in some ways for myself because I feel that I am part of the community now where before, because of being a 60s group survivor, I was removed from that community. So it's been a, you know, a return and a, a re-adoption of sorts. When I invited Dr. Nell Wyman on the podcast, I thought we'd have a conversation about the many twists and turns she's taken in her career. She began at Waterloo as a kinesiology student, fascinated with biomechanics. Then she became Canada's first female Indigenous psychiatrist, and today she's a public health official at the First Nations Health Authority in British Columbia. So yes, in this episode, you'll hear Nell talk about the many turns she's taken in her career, but you'll also hear about the personal revelations she uncovered with each new step. Our careers don't exist in a vacuum. They're an integral part of our personal development. And Nell's career journey is an amazing example of that. Keep listening. Nell, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'd love to start with why you came to Waterloo. When we spoke, I was surprised to hear that your original decision had less to do with academics and more to do with location and other interests you had. Thanks, Meg, and it's really great to be here uh, with your listeners. Yeah, the story of how I ended up at Waterloo was a little interesting. Uh, I grew up in Thunder Bay, uh, Ontario, and I think because of the experiences I had as an adolescent, um, I was a track and field athlete. I had the opportunity to travel around the country and even internationally. I just felt that you know, in part that my horizons needed to be a little bit broader than going to university in Thunder Bay, which my parents wanted me to do. Uh, But I picked Waterloo um, specifically because it offered the program in kinesiology that wasn't offered at Lakehead University at the time in order to go away to go to school. And I haven't regretted that decision. And I think The lesson in that for people is that, you know, sometimes we make choices that aren't necessarily as well-informed. You know, for example, I didn't do a ton of research into the kinesiology program, um, but it ended up being quite serendipitous for me uh, in ending up at the University of Waterloo. As I said earlier, I think Waterloo was the best school for me, the right school for me at the right time in my life. And I've always been proud to be a University of Waterloo alumna. That's great. So as you as you said, you spent your time at Waterloo focused on kinesiology and biomechanics, but that's not actually the field you ended up in in the end. So what did you learn about yourself as a Waterloo student, and how has that helped you in this career that turned out to be different? Yeah, I think one of the first things I learned during my first few years at Waterloo uh, was that I was actually a very capable student. Um, You know, I had had done my high school years um, partly you know, I was, I was at the time, I was an elite athlete, so I wasn't as focused on academics, although, you know, I got by, I got enough to get into university. But when, when my, you know, when I switched from 
training constantly um, and was in a school program, I realized that I, you know, that I was actually very capable of doing the work. And I think that relates, again, partly to not just being an athlete and not being focused on school and high school, but being an Indigenous person and not really being encouraged to pursue academics, not having role models at the time that I could look forward to. So I had to kind of figure that out on my own. Um, and so the first few years at Waterloo was all about that, you know, gaining confidence in myself as a student and and really excelling. And, and, and in part, you know, that was brought out because of the quality of the teaching that I received. Um, so something good happened along the way. But I think as I did my undergrad in kinesiology, as I did my work during my master's, um, two things happened really. One was, um, you know, this, the, my master's degree in biomechanics was very challenging for me, um, especially the academic program part. And, and then the research part, uh, doing, you know, all those hours and hours in a lab. And what it taught me was an incredible um, ability to be disciplined, uh, to have self-discipline, to set goals, um, you know, intermediate goals that I could meet and longer term goals that I could meet. Um, but I do remember that, you know, those hours and hours of persisting in the lab and, and I'm sure technology has made things a little bit easier these days, but, you know, that really put me in a good place when I started medical school, because of course, that you know, there's so much work involved in in being a medical student and then a resident um, before you become a, a staff physician. So, you know, I'm grateful to those years. I mean, they, they gave me a good background in the sciences, first of all. Um, so those parts, you know, of medical school were easier for me than some students who may have come from an arts background or a general science background. Um, but again, really really grateful to Waterloo for you know for those years that I had there and um, you know one of the things that happened I mean it's always surprising for people when they hear that I'm a psychiatrist with a master's in biomechanics <laughs> I don't think there's too many people out there like that but you know what happened was when I started medical school I was fully intending on a career in neurology or physical rehabilitation based on my background from Waterloo. But I became involved early on with the Indigenous Physicians Association of Canada. And I quickly realized that the needs at that time were sort of much more basic and less specialized. And that mental health was a big area of need in Indigenous health. And I also recognized my um, that the skill set that I possessed was more aligned with a specialty like psychiatry. So, for example, when I did my uh, master's degree, uh, I studied gait in the elderly. And part of my research involved having something like a dozen elderly participants of my research come in for regular gait analyses. And it would take hours 
to set up the equipment with them. And, and so of course you have to do something while you're putting all these stickers on people and electrodes. And so we would chat and have conversations, you know, and I, and I started to think even when I was doing my master's that, you know, gosh, I, the part I really enjoyed the most about research was conversing with these elders and maybe I should not be in a lab crunching data 24 hours a day at times. And maybe I should be thinking about a career where I, I interface more with people um, in a clinical situation. So that, that was another aspect that got me thinking about a career in medicine. And to add to the listeners, I would say that, you know, my career path, even though it sounds quite odd to be a psychiatrist with a master's in biomechanics, is to the listeners, you know, that no journey is really wasted. You know, there were definitely transferable skills that I learned in my master's that I used in my medical training and practice. And even as a psychiatrist, you know, many of the medications we prescribe uh, can result in side effects uh, that include movement disorders and disorders with people's gait. And so, you know, that knowledge that I gained during my master's was not wasted. And so I would encourage people who are listening to not worry so much that they do things, you know, their career in a perfect line straight towards their long-term goal that sometimes we take deviations in our journey and and it's not wasted at all. Um, in fact, it only enriches your ability later on in whatever work it is that you end up engaged in. Yeah, that's uh, such a valid point for any career um, in any field, I think, um, and important information to remember. So you mentioned before um, that you became uh, involved with the Indigenous Physicians of Canada at some point. And uh, as a medical student, you that involvement really deepened. And it sounds like this was a turning point for you, both personally, and you've also spoken a little bit professionally that it helped to change the course of your career. Can you expand on that a little bit more and tell me how it affected your career and life overall? Yeah, I mean, on both levels, um, you know, meeting Indigenous physicians early on in medical school and becoming involved in the organization that's called IPAC, um, yeah, did change my life. Personally, it was uh, because um, I'm a 60 scoop survivor, meaning I was in foster care early on in my life. Um, I was taken away from my family, my community, my nation. Um, I'm originally from Little Grand Rapids, but was adopted around the age of four and raised by a family in Thunder Bay, Ontario. So, you know, everybody's on a different journey, I think, to explore their identity and who they are. Um, And because of what it was like for me growing up in Thunder Bay, as a First Nations young girl and young woman, uh, there was a lot of racism. And so I think my coping mechanism at the time was to not really think about it all that much and try to just pass through 
as unharmed as possible. And I think one of the things that I had going for me was because I was a pretty good athlete. So people saw that first and didn't see who I was or what I looked like or, um, so going to medical school and becoming involved with indigenous physicians really forced me personally to look at my, at myself, my identity, and that I had to reclaim that part of myself in order to move on in a, in a good way, in a, in a healing way. Um, and so through my work, you know, I have worked with different First Nations communities across the country, mostly in Ontario and now in British Columbia. But they have given me as much as I have given them in terms of clinical service, you know, that sort of returning to community. So there was that. And professionally, again, like I said, I think I've always had that part of my personality that has wanted to work with to, I guess, be efficient with my skills and my my work. So I, I've always wanted to work with communities that really have the most need. And Indigenous, that includes Indigenous communities. I have worked also with the LGBTQ2S plus communities, HIV positive communities, um, the homeless, people who are homeless population. So I've always worked with where the need, in my view, is. Um, and so professionally, um, the Indigenous Physicians Association really put me in touch with Indigenous physicians who have come before me and showed me the examples of the work that they were doing and sort of inspired me to think of what might be possible. And so when I came near to finishing my specialty training, I was through a very roundabout series of events introduced to the Six Nations of the Grand River Territory and worked with people from that community as well as other Indigenous health professionals. And together uh, we started a community mental health service that persists to this day and in fact has grown and expanded um, and so, you know, and at that time, this was more than 20 years ago, it was really the only service of its kind on a reserve community in the country. And so I was given that example by the physicians who came before me. And my whole career has been dedicated to Indigenous health and doing what I can to support Indigenous and First Nations people to achieve a greater state of health and wellness. And that has involved a whole number of activities over many, many years. Uh, but it's extremely gratifying. And to tie it back to the personal, you know, doing that type of work in and of itself has been healing in some ways for myself because I feel that I am part of the community now where before, because of being a 60 scoop survivor, I was removed from that community. So it's been a, you know, a return and a, a readoption of sorts. Yeah, our personal and professional lives are not really separate, I think, and that's a great example of, of it. So um, you've spoken a bit about um, the work that you've done with Indigenous communities, uh, but 
at in a little bit in the past, but also today, you work for British Columbia's First Nations Health Authority. And you right now, it's a huge job because you're facing three public health emergencies. You have COVID-19, you have the toxic drug crisis, and you have anti-Indigenous racism. This just sounds like all-consuming work with many moving parts. And I'm interested to know what drove you to leave your work as a clinician to tackle health issues from this new angle. Yeah, I mean, again, it all feeds into, you know, everybody, everybody's journey is different and what the needs are and what your personal needs are vary over time. Um, so in my experience, and I think it's because the communities that I have chosen to work with, the work as a psychiatrist clinically, one-on-one -on -one with patients, and I have chosen, you know, I'd always chosen to work with people in acute care settings, in emergency settings. Um, so that work is very intense. It's very uh, draining. And I always felt that in order to make a difference for people, you had to give a little bit of yourself in order to help people achieve, um, you know, better health or healing. So when you do that, when you give away those little bits of yourself, inevitably you deplete uh, the resources that you may have. And so I found that after 20 years of just over 20 years of clinical practice that I was looking for a change. And I was also reflecting back on my career. It's, you know, really important to put it into perspective. You know, there's so few Indigenous physicians in Canada. There are more now. There are hundreds. When I started, there were uh, double-digit <laughs> Indigenous physicians in the country. So you have this feeling, I think, or at least I have, that I wanted to make a difference over the course of my career. Um, and I don't mean that in an arrogant or egotistical way at all, but you want to feel that you've been meaningful and that you've made contributions. So after 20 years, I felt that I really had, but I wanted to do more for this last third of what I see as the last third of my career. And so an opportunity came before me to, you know, my colleague, uh, my wonderful colleague, Dr. Evan Adams, suggested to me in the summer of 2017, he said, you know, now have you ever thought about coming out, moving out to Vancouver and working for First Nations Health Authority? And I said, don't be silly. <laughs> it's so rainy in Vancouver. There's no way that I would leave Toronto. And within five months, my family and all our bags were on an Air Canada flight to Vancouver and we were moving. So that happened pretty fast. But, um, you know, making the switch to public health has been really important for me. I felt that it was an opportunity to bring my clinical experience, my skills in research, and that relates back to my experience at the University of Waterloo, my uh, administrative experience, my experience on being different, on being, on being, from being on different advisory committees and boards, etc. I could bring all of the experiences that I'd accumulated over that, that 20 years and feed it into this sort of new career 
as a physician who works in public health. And of course, when I got here, uh, we were dealing already with what we're calling now the toxic drug poisoning crisis, uh, which used to be called the opioid crisis, which has been a public health emergency in British Columbia for over five years. And then a year and a half ago, the COVID-19 pandemic hit. And then last year, within about a year, the, the past year, the release of the In Plain Sight report that documented the widespread anti-Indigenous racism in BC healthcare, healthcare system uh, was released. So there is no shortage of things for me to work on. Um, and most recently, um, the um, announcements of the unmarked graves being found at different residential schools um, initially at, at some others, but in May at Kamloops Residential School and now the announcement uh, in Saskatchewan and there will be more. There is now sort of four public health emergencies I see that I'm working on so it's a very challenging time. Uh, there's no doubt. Um, it's, a, there, it's an exhausting amount of work to be quite honest, um, but it's also an incredible moment of history in history for me to be engaged in this work. Um, you know, I've been informally working in anti-racism since I started being an Indigenous medical student and an Indigenous physician automatically uh, means that you have to do what you can to combat uh, racism. And the events over the past year as they've unfolded, I have really observed a significant momentum and change. And I hope that that continues to be sustained. And of course it will be because of the efforts that myself and others are expending. Um, but this, this newer announcement, um, I think, helps support that anti-racism work uh, just because it is such a, uh, a, a public, um, it's forcing uh, the general Canadian population to see for themselves the history of this country, of what's happened in this country to Indigenous people. And it compels people, I hope, to act with us and work together to um, not just hear the truth, but accept the truth and move towards not just reconciliation, but reconciliation. Um, nothing will change without action. And that's all that I'm about these days. So um, yeah, there is a lot of work to do, um, but I've never been one to shy away from that. I love that reconciliation. <laughs> I'm not sure who to attribute it to, but that, that, that is meaningful. You know, we, we use that word reconciliation quite a bit. And I think what people, what your listeners might not be aware of is we're not we're not ready for reconciliation in this country until the truth can be accepted. The truth has already been told in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, but it hasn't been accepted. And once that happens, it's a process. 
then we move toward reconciliation and then we move toward action. Some actions obviously are happening at the same time, but um, this is really a moment of truth in our history. It really is. Um, it's a reckoning. And um, I think it's going to be able to move as painful as it is uh, for Indigenous people, as painful as this is, um, I think it makes us more determined than ever to ensure our equal and equitable place in Canadian society. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And uh, hopefully also brings non-Indigenous people, more non-Indigenous people into that, those actions too. Absolutely. The work cannot be done by us alone. And uh, we are looking to work, you know, in partnership uh, with everyone else um, to make this, because ultimately it's going to make this country a better country. You know, right now, I think we feel that, you know, there are some very real reasons why we shouldn't feel proud of, of Canada right now. Um, but we will get through this. Um, and Indigenous people and First Nations people will still be here, will be strong as ever, resilient as ever. But if we work in partnership with non-Indigenous Canadians, we will make this country better and a country to be proud of. That's a fantastic note to, to end on. Um, so thank you for joining me for the podcast now. I have learned so much from you, uh, just in our couple of meetings that we've had. And uh, I'm sure that listeners will have learned something from it too. So thanks. Thanks, Meg. It's been great speaking with you. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow, subscribe, like, whatever your podcast player lets you do. And if you've attended alumni events in the past, you may already be familiar with now. She's one of the amazing alumni who have shared their knowledge on today's important topics. In fact, we have a new event coming up on September 24th, 2021. I think you might be interested in it. At the virtual Humans and Interconnectivity event, Waterloo faculty and alumni will focus on the human experience in our increasingly connected world. To register, just follow the link in this episode description. Season two of Uncharted Warriors in the World is written and produced by me, Meg Vanderwood. Carlos Saavedra is our editor. Carlos and I are both alumni and staff at the University of Waterloo.